Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new series of playing with myself on the internet. As always, Rainy here and I'm going to be starting a brand new game today. I'm going to be playing a game that many people know and love in the solo RPG community and I'm going to be playing Ironsworn. But I'm not playing traditional Ironsworn and I'm not playing the massively successful kickstarted Ironsworn Starforged, which is sci-fi kind of spacefaring Ironsworn. I am playing a, at the time of recording, yet to be released, but backer stretch goal version of the game known as Sundered Isles. This is a setting for Ironsworn that takes place either on the high seas or how I plan on playing it in this series, which is an age of sail that has taken to the skies. One of my favorite video games of all time is Final Fantasy IX. And there are airships, obviously very present throughout the older Final Fantasy titles. And in that one, especially, there are some really cool smaller and larger ship designs for airships. And I kind of want to explore playing a game of Ironsworn in a world that is somewhere between the One Piece anime of just scattered islands and an age of sail with ships being the only way to get between places and a place where magic has infused the world and there are also flying islands in the sky. But before I get too into how I imagine this is going to go, let's talk about Ironsworn. Ironsworn is a family of RPGs made by Sean Tompkin. He started back in, I want to say, 2018 or 2019 is when the original Ironsworn was released, and it has made big waves in the solo RPG community with its incredible oracle tables and interesting Powered by the Apocalypse derived mechanics that aren't exactly the traditional 2d6 and you get your levels of success. It's a really cool system that it focuses on the narrative and a lot of how this game is designed to be played is either solo or GMless. It achieves this by only triggering moves when narratively appropriate, when certain conditions are met. Similarly to Powered by the Apocalypse, you do have misses, weak hits, and strong hits, but as opposed to happening on a bell curve for 2d6 rolls, you actually roll a d6 plus your stat against two challenge dice. It's 1d6 for your action die versus 2d10 for your challenge dice. And based on the result from your d6 plus any modifiers compared to those 2d10, I either rolled my action die lower than both d10s, higher than one, which is a weak hit, or higher than both, which is a strong hit. And what's interesting about comparing it to two dice is that whenever you roll a match on your d10s, that introduces a complication or it's basically it makes the action that you've done more interesting. And also, there are interesting mechanics that allow you to kind of manipulate your results. But all the Ironsworn titles share a very unique mechanic, which is called Swearing an Iron Vow. Iron itself, the metal, is usually a prominent and kind of pseudo-religious, very important material in the setting that when you make a vow on it with someone, you are bound to see that vow through. So it kind of is the way that you write down your quests and you pursue them based on how difficult or not they are. And just to add on to how great this game is for solo play, the way to start a game of Ironsworn usually starts the same. 
in you setting up questions about the setting that are answered either solo or with the players that you're playing with, the group of people, and you go around and answer these questions, and all of a sudden you start informing the world you're going to be playing in. And then from there, you make characters knowing a little bit about the world and the questions that you've been answering. And those players, through character creation, are going to take things like paths and assets. They can be things like companions, or in the case of our game for Sundered Isles here, it's going to be our ship. It's going to potentially be modules that improve how our ship handles and what it can do, things like that, that are going to just constantly be giving us more opportunity to come up with quests or hooks between our character and the setting that we're developing. So let's go ahead and consult the setting questions, which are called Choosing Your Truths. We're going to go through a series of prompts that ask us questions about the setting that we're going to be playing in, and we can either choose from a few options within each, many of which usually come with quest starters at the time of recording the Material that I have on hand doesn't have everything here done, but I'm going to begin play with enough familiarity with the system that we can get going and get off the ground, no pun intended. And as these new updates come in and revisions to this game are made, we're going to be playing more and more closer to the final product. But this part of it, the setting and choosing your truths, usually always goes the same. So the first thing we're going to figure out is the sundering. We are playing in the Skyfaring Realm setting of Sundered Isles, which is, in this realm, the Sundered Isles are lofty fragments of a ruined continent. Sometime in the past, a massive continent broke apart in an earth-shattering cataclysm. The remnants of this land were cast into the skies, held aloft by unknowable forces. So there are floating isles. I also think that there are going to be island ecosystems in actual ocean. There's going to be varying kind of altitudes and levels and layers of societies and things like that. Although, no matter where you live, boats and kind of ship travel are the way to get anywhere. So the Sundering itself, we're going to roll a D100, and out of our three options, see what comes up. Low roll with a 10. A great war left horrible scars on the Isles. A generation's old wars only recently ended, and the reminders of that fruitless conflict are all around us. Islands racked by destruction, seas tainted, people displaced. The cost is immeasurable, but some still squabble over what remains. War, it seems, never changes. I actually really like this one, compared to the other two that are here, which are Strange Technologies did this, or eons ago a vast cataclysm shattered the continents. I like the idea of this being somehow tied to a war that's been going on and only recently ended because there's always great in my opinion in the way that my brain thinks and how I structure adventures there's always great adventures and hooks and personal character arcs and things like that that come out of rebuilding after something terrible so we're going to go with a great war was the cause of the sundering Next up is relics. What remains of lost or fallen people? Another very low roll, a three. Three on a D100. It says, The history of the Isles is marked by natural disaster, war, and exodus. Abandoned and ruined sites are a grim monument to these events. 
yeah, I love the idea of there being a very big world out there. Much of it had to be abandoned because people needed to band together during this rough time of war and a lot of maybe cities and larger settlements that would never have happened are now around and are still pretty new, especially in a time of peace. So a lot of movers and shakers are going to be shaking up things in quote-unquote civilized society, while the fringes of society, the Sky Island chains that needed to be abandoned, or maybe their sources of rare and powerful resources, those had to be abandoned by the natives and they were taken over. Like, there's so much here that I love the idea of natural disaster and war being the reason that everything is kind of up for grabs again, and relics can be found because of exodus and war and all of this stuff. Now, obviously, that brings us to the modern era. What is the state of technology? Let's roll. First high roll, we got a 72. It is an age of wonders. Some have seized lost secrets and extraordinary science to power vessels, weapons, and other machines. Ships are fitted with glimmering sails that augment the powers of the wind and storm. Their cannons unleash volleys of infernal energies. A few commanders even count iron automatons, given life by improbable technologies among their crew. Resisting these wonders is like casting a stone against a thunderstorm, and many see this new age as a portent of doom. Yes, yes, very much leaning into that kind of Final Fantasy IX vibe, and just magic is there, right? It is a time of these things coming together, and crazy, crazy things are possible. And I'm calling it now, we're going to have a Jurassic Park. You were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't think about whether or not you should kind of problem in this story, for sure. So next we talk about how Iron Vows work in this setting. Let's go ahead and roll our D100 and see if we like it. And a middling number. This time it says, The Iron Sworn bind their honor to iron blades. Even in the age of cannon and rifle, a sword remains a useful and prized weapon. Sword makers study for years to unlock the secrets of their craft, and a finely forged blade is a mark of fortune or status. When the Iron Sworn swear a vow upon that blade, we bind our commitment to the metal. If we forsake a vow, that iron must be abandoned. To be Iron Sworn without a blade is to be disgraced. Excellent. Yes. And you know what? That's definitely how this is going, and I think that the vows are still honored, but I think that, again, we're kind of in a transitional time in this modern era that the character I make is definitely going to care about these swords and what they mean, but I think there's going to be a movement that this is no longer the way of the world. It's a thing that is going out of style, but I love it. That's great. Next up are the communities. There's another high number. Bleak mists are a curse upon the isles, confounding navigation and severing connections between communities. Ooh, this sounds fun. Bleak mists. And if you've played Final Fantasy IX, you know that mists are a big theme in that, so the dice know what I'm trying to do here. Bleak mists are a damnable sea-bound fog. And obviously we can say that these are clouds that rise above the sea because we're going to be doing some kind of skyfaring. But it says, 
Some never dissipate, forming an enduring barrier for all but the most foolhardy. The world within the mist is cold, silvery gray. Waves and wind are listless. Mariners tell of inexplicable sensations, whispered voices, ghostly clanging of ship bells, half-seen phantom shapes. Worse still, the mists bend time and distance, putting ships on unexpected courses or in unknown waters. If you enter a bleak mist, it's hard to predict where or if you'll emerge. That's awesome. So yeah, that's why communities are kind of scattered. Could these bleak mists be a product of the war? Mayhaps, mayhaps. And speaking of the war, we need to talk about the empires. How great is the threat of colonization and conquest in this post-war piece? Another high number, 81. In the wake of the tumultuous war, a great empire prevailed. This supreme power holds the fate of the Sundered Isles in an iron grasp. Yeah, I love that, for sure. You know, one superpower is now kind of overbearing on the rest of the world as they're just trying to rebuild and regroup and maintain their identities and their cultures. But this empire holds them all in an iron grasp. A time before the empire is a fading memory. Today, their armies and fleets controlled large swaths of territory in the Isles, and expeditionary forces use coercion and warfare to expand their dominion even further. But there are whispers that the empire has grown complacent, and rumors of rebellion in far-off outposts. Is this the day the once-freeborn people of the Isles relight the fires of revolution and make a stand to reclaim their legacy? Ooh. Yes. Love that. And who stands up to this empire? Let's talk about pirates. What influence do pirates wield in the Sundered Isles, in this skyfaring realm? 39. Pirates are fiercely independent, but bound by a shared code. A pirate crew is a power unto itself, a diverse band of fugitives, outcasts, refugees, and rebels who serve under a ship's charter. Each member of the crew has a say in the operation of the vessel and an equal share of its plunder. Pirates do not attack ships or settlements indiscriminately and will give quarter to those who ask for it. They are nevertheless vilified as barbarous murderers by trade guilds, imperial governors, and other powers in the isles. In some way, this reputation serves them. Fear is more powerful than the mightiest of cannons and the sharpest of swords. Yeah, so pirates are independent. You're definitely going to have your bad apples and you know there might be some that are mostly labeled pirates because they're just fighting this empire that has been exerting its will on the isles who knows maybe our crew our character is going to be labeled a pirate i'm not sure yet we're gonna find out we're gonna roll but uh you know that's interesting i like that so we have and again after the wake of a great war this empire is in control at the moment because everyone's just so beaten down there are other communities and organizations and islands and things like that that are just struggling to get back up on their feet of course pirates are going to kind of crop up as an issue it's kind of an every man for themselves kind of thing All right next we're going to religion what is the role of faith in the skyfaring realm we're back to low rolls. That is an eight. Our faith is as diverse as the people. Many have no religion or offer an occasional prayer out of habit. Others pay homage to the gods of our ancestors as a way of connecting to their roots. Some idealize the natural order of the world, 
and see the divine in the ebb and flow of the tides or whirling dance of the stars. Then there are those who see this diversity as imperfection, who seek only to bend the world to their righteous will. Yeah, that works. Especially if this kind of floating island setting is still relatively new, like within generations, like maybe that's why the war was fought, or maybe the floating islands themselves are a product of the war in its earlier days, and that only further made things difficult as far as if this is new territory or there are resources that were previously unavailable. And we've talked about how the communities are scattered both between instances of the bleak mists that kind of float around off of the oceans and in the skies, but also the relics that are scattered and had to have been left because of exodus and war and everything like that. So faith is diverse. You will find people who believe in all sorts of things. Now it's time to talk about magic. What is the impact of supernatural forces? Well, I know in Final Fantasy IX there is magic, but let's see what's happening in this world. 31. Oh, it's at the high end of magic does not exist. Oh, this is going to be the first one I veto. I'm going to put it in the middle, which says, Magic is rare and mysterious. The isles lie at the nexus of the new and the old, science and superstition, the known and the inexplicable. This collision of realities is a powerful but chaotic force, and some rare folk can manipulate these unstable realities to cast spells and perform rites. In some cultures, mystics are respected. In others, they're feared or even outcast. Yeah, there's got to be some magic in this system. We have flying ships. Come on. Next up are our last two setting elements that we're going to ask questions about, which are beasts and the cursed. So beasts, what is the nature of extraordinary creatures? Here there be monsters. We are the trespassers in a realm of beasts. Monstrous lizards stalk the inland wilds. Flying reptiles with wings the size of topsails dwell in cliffside nests. Giant sharks and serpents cruise the coastal waters in search of prey. The much-feared kraken, larger than the greatest warship, lurks in the fathomless depths, and the mightiest of beasts are the primordials, solitary creatures of unimaginable scale and power whose very footfalls or wing beats shake the world. Hell yes. Absolutely. And last one, the cursed. What dreadful forces haunt the Sundered Isles? I think this is more like undead stuff, but let's see. 29, that's a low one. Put enough grog in a sailor and they'll tell you stories of doomed ships and ghastly visitations. It's all nonsense. There's enough to fear amid the isles without worrying about fanciful tales of ghosts and ghouls. Nonetheless, sailors are a superstitious folk. On dark nights, when the dead calm falls over the sea, they keep a wary eye for ships that sail heedless of the wind. Yeah, we talked about the bleak mists and how those are obviously terrifying, but maybe it's more magic than it is like undead, like ghost ship kind of things. As cool as ghost ships are, maybe they're just mislabeled, much like the pirates of this realm. So we have our setting, we have some ideas. This also leads into the next step, which says set your factions. Basically, there should be like three or four factions that are major players in the world, so that way you have touchstones and powers to kind of influence ideas for problems that might be 
present during gameplay or come up as a result of roles, things like that. You can always say like, oh, well, this organization and this faction exists. Like, do they have something to do with it? So I'm going to roll. There are four tables, one for nation and cultures, one for organizations and identities, one for empires, and then there's a fourth one for the cursed. But since we just decided that the cursed aren't really a factor in this setting, I'm unlikely to use that. So I'm going to roll a d100 and a d6, and that's going to determine which of these tables I'm rolling these on. And I'm going to have four, I think, and see what we get. So I rolled a five on my d6 for table number three, empires, and 16 for Eldarian remnants. Loyalists of a fallen empire who seek to rebuild their former glory among the isles. The sails of their ships are emblazoned with a rising sun. Oh, so maybe the losers of the recent war. There's still holdouts. That's a good one. And I got a 50 on the nations and cultures table, which says Morian. Sea folk who forsake cannons and muskets, they sail low-profile catamarans and set upon their foes with stealthy ambushes. Ooh, and because we're taking to the skies, I love the idea of, like, solo flyers that kind of swarm. That's really cool. They don't have cannons and muskets. I love this. So that's cool. There's, like, ambush folks. Two more. We're going back to empires. And this makes sense. We got the Cairodi Dominion. Expansive empire with far-flung territories. Their holdings within the isles are overseen by corrupt and squabbling governors, each vying for greater power and wealth. So there are the winners of the war. The Eldarian remnants are the losers of the war. Probably one of the bigger opponents that was putting up the fight against the Cairodi. All right, so I'm not going to roll on empires anymore. I'm just going to roll this d100 on organizations and identities. So we have one from each. And true to my heart, I got a 14 on organizations and identities for the Sinosh. Hmm, how, how do you pronounce this? The Sinosher Society, a league of scientists and naturalists who record their findings in exhaustively detailed journals, which are then copied and recorded by archivists at a grand central library. Yay, nature nerds, my people. Okay, and that makes sense, right? If this entire realm that has raised islands into the sky is still only a few generations old. Or even if it's generations old, right? If it's something, but we've been in the midst of a war that only recently ended. Well, now we can finally go do research here at a time of relative peace. So we have our scientists who are going out there. We have a corrupt empire who is running everything. So, you know, not to bring funding and stuff like that up, but these scientists are probably doing stuff and the government is probably giving them a hard time about that's not important right now. We need to do X, Y, and Z. So I become more powerful. Oh, this is great. I love this. We have our ambushers. Yeah, this is all coming together really, really nicely. The faction step does say to define relationships between these factions. I think it's already kind of coming together in my mind and we'll kind of let that come out in play. And it's kind of fun to leave a little bit more behind the screen, so that way, for you as a listener, you're not listening to me talk forever about this. Let's get into playing the game sooner than, you know, taking all this time. If anybody does have questions about the super nitty-gritty of creating this setting and my character, if there's things I glance over that you say, I'd love to hear how you handled that, shoot me an email. But for now, I'm going to move right on to character creation. We've got a good idea about our setting 
in this post-war world where floating islands are a thing of the last few generations and magic is present in the bleak mists and sail is taking to the skies and a time of relative peace is still endangered by corrupt empire officials and ambushers and cultures trying to just hold on to any semblance of what they used to be, resettle themselves, and keep their identity alive. Let's make a character and see where we fit into this big story. Now, again, at the time of recording this, the character creation section of Sundered Isles is not yet out. If it comes out by the time I record this, I might go back and make a note. But until then, I'm going to be using the Starforged character creation process, and I'm going to be using some of the new assets that are in the playtest materials here. So the first thing we need to do is ready our assets and choose two paths for our character. Unlike traditional RPGs, Ironsworn does not have character classes. You just get paths that you can pursue certain things about them, and they kind of give you an idea about what kind of story your character is going to be engaging with and the things that are going to happen to them over the course of the campaign. However, during play, I believe there are plenty of ways to get new paths and things like that. So at least one of the paths that I'm going to choose right now is going to be one of the new ones for the Sundered Isles setting. However, there are a lot of paths that are compatible with Starforged, so I'm going to keep those in the pile as well, and I'm going to draw a couple and see what we get. All right, the first one is going to be Sorcerer. Ooh, okay, so we said magic is a thing, and it looks like my character is going to have some form of control over it, and the other I'm going to choose is Merchant. Sorcerer Merchant. Okay. I can see something. Okay, that makes sense. I can make that work. But to help me, the next step in character creation is to create a backstory. And there is a D100 table to kind of give you some ideas about things that might have played a part into your backstory. So I'm going to roll just to see what I get and see if it makes any sense for a merchant sorcerer. Oh, I just rolled twice. And I like both of them. I think you're only supposed to pick one, but I got you are haunted by past actions or failures, and you rejected a duty or destiny. All right, I think the way this worked is my character was born into wartime. Maybe the war has been over, and we are from a place that's kind of a last holdout and against the empire, but I think that my character became a merchant because they had no other choice. They had to maybe take care of family or something, and coin was needed in order to keep food on the table and keep people safe and healthy at home. And they rejected a duty or destiny. I think maybe mystics, people who can control magic in the culture that my character comes from, they are special. And I was supposed to do something. There was supposed to be a ritual or trial or rite of passage that I was supposed to go do. But because the war was putting pressure on my family, I didn't. I had to keep doing what I was doing 
to make sure that they were safe. I couldn't afford to leave and go do something not knowing they were going to be okay without me. And in the end, the war's been over. And the Empire finally came and just stomped out any kind of resistance that was left here. And now we've kind of become just... There's stability, but it's in subservience. And now the option to undergo my rite of passage, my trial, whatever it is that I was supposed to do as part of my culture is not an option. Because where that was is now the source of, we're going to tie it into our factions, a scientific study that Sinosure Society or whatever they're called, they're there now. And the Empire doesn't want them there because the Empire just wants to take the rich natural resources from there, but it needs to be studied first, and I need it to finally fulfill my duty to my people who are now losing their identity under the Empire's control. Oh, see how that came together? That's really... I love this. All right, and this rolls very well into the next step of character creation, which is the background vow. So we need to come up with our iron vow that it says here, normally when you make an iron vow, you're going to roll for it. But this background vow has been a part of who I am, so I don't need to roll at the onset. I will likely make more iron vows as we play. And again, if we're not sure about what this background vow should be, there is an action and theme oracle. Again, Iron Sworn is full of these amazing oracle tables that you can just roll on and get ideas about how to progress the narrative or include interesting details and things like that. And this game, both Iron Sworn, the original, Starforged, and the Sundered Isles playtest materials that I have are full of really great oracles. So there's no shortage of, if you're not sure what to do, you can find something to roll on and get your imagination rolling. So let's go ahead and roll on the action and theme oracle and see if it gives us any ideas for a background vow beyond what we already have. Huge. Uh, 96 for action is transform. Oh, well, I'm magic. That seems like something. 73? You've got to be kidding me. Transform resource? You can't make this stuff up. That is insane. Okay, well, all right. Obviously, our background vow is... We just said the Empire has landed. They have put down any form of resistance that my culture, my island here, that had been a holdout in this long, long, terrible war. and now. Not only is the Empire here, but the Society of Scientists and Scholars are researching a place that was so important to my people, and especially people within my culture like me, who had a talent with magic. I cannot go there under orders of the Empire themselves, the Imperial people who are stationed here, and the scholars will not want me manipulating anything. They want to study it. Oh, I love this. Okay. I think before we do anything with this, though, I kind of need to know where, where or what the site of these trials of this rite of passage, 
I need to know some details about it. So I'm going to roll on the descriptor and focus oracle tables just to keep showing off how this system can really get you thinking about things. Let's see here. 26, damaged. 11, blockade. Oh, okay. Damaged blockade. So maybe the blockade means it was a place that we kept very safe. It was a place that maybe, and as anything that gets locked away, is it that we're locking it so people don't get in, or are we locking it so something doesn't get out? Maybe the only people who went in were the people who showed enough promise in magic, and it has been damaged in this war, and it is now being raided by these scholars. And again, as somebody who studies science, I get it. You know, you want to get to the bottom of things. You want to understand the world we live in, but to something like the culture that my character is from, he sees this as incredibly dangerous and disrespectful, and he needs to get in there and do what he was supposed to do probably years ago at this point. And what is in there now? I'm going to roll on Starforged's location oracles. Let's see. It is, oh, it's infested now. So, monsters lurk here. And under the infested tables, it says here, I'm going to roll for feature, peril, and opportunity. It says, evidence of an ill-fated victim. Creatures reveal surprising cleverness. And there is early warning of attacks or ambushes. So the scholars are going to be in trouble. And I know this. So my background vow is going to be something along the lines of, I will find a way in to the sorceress trials. That's awesome. All right. And so that's our character. Uh, next, we get a ship, which is something that at the beginning of the game, we don't own like a flagship. We don't have the fancy. We don't get to name it. It's not this crazy thing. We just have access to a ship. It's likely owned by someone else. There might be some crew NPCs with it. A lot of times they're not manned by one person. You cannot crew a ship by yourself, most likely. And I have to make some decisions about it, so we'll come to those in a bit. It's probably not a big ship. I am a merchant, but I think that speed and outmaneuvering empire ships was probably more my goal. So I probably have a light or medium kind of ship. And in Starforged, we're supposed to roll on some tables that kind of give ideas about interesting features of the ship. But because that's very sci-fi leaning, I'm just going to choose the one that seems like it would work in this setting as well, which is going to be strange symbols are scrawled on the deck and bulkheads in the main corridor. So maybe they're magical or not sure. But we have strange symbols scrawled on the deck and bulkheads of our ship. Then we are going to choose a final asset, which is going to be either another path, so something else about our character. We can choose a module, which is something that changes how our ship works. We can get a companion, which is, you guessed it, like usually an animal, or I think they're, I think in this one they're all animals. Or maybe like robots, like we said that there are robots, but because we're not part of the Empire, we're not going to get a construct. Or a support vehicle, which in Starforged would be like, you know, 
one person fighter jet or something like that. In this game, you get things like other boats or flying machines or diving bells. Hmm. You know, I am a sucker for companions. And there's some good ones here like monkey or albatross or jungle cat. I mean, there's crazy ones like dragon and kraken too, but they come with obvious like you're not going to be abusing this relationship <laughs> when it comes to using them. Oh, uh, how do I how do I not pick monkey? As a merchant, it can always get me in trouble by stealing things, which is probably what I trained it to do in the first place, but then when I catch it getting caught, I can say, "Oh, well, uh, I'm working on it." Oh, it's too good. But then I have to worry about this monkey all the time. I could get something that's more appropriate for my merchant background, like an improved hold for my ship or speed rigging. So that way I'm faster when I undertake expeditions. Or I could take a support vehicle like a flying machine, which could be a one person. Hey, crew, hold down the ship. I'm going to go scout ahead. And that's kind of a cool young protagonist merchant taking care of his family kind of reckless that he jumps out in his own flying machine everyone probably thinks he's crazy for doing this and somehow he always makes it back to the ship itself all right i'm gonna roll a d6 uh one or two it's gonna be the flying machine three or four it's going to be an improved hold in my merchant ship and five or six it's going to be a monkey here goes it's a five we get a monkey let's go Part of me did also kind of want the Air Avatar, Air Nomad gliders, but I'm going to go with the monkey. We are very close to done. Next, we need to do the, oh, you know, the major mechanics thing, which is setting our stats for our character. Ironsworn uses five stats. Edge, Heart, Iron, Shadow, and Wits. Edge is the stat that covers your agility, your prowess at fighting at a distance, Heart is your courage, your willpower, your empathy, your sociability, all that. Iron is physical strength, your endurance, and prowess at fighting in close quarters. Shadow is how sneaky you are, how deceptive you are. And wits is your expertise, knowledge, and observation. I get to arrange values across my stats. One is going to get plus three, two are going to get plus two, and two are going to get plus one. Oh man, this is hard. But I think I know. All right. Edge is going to be our best stat. I think that he's young. He's agile. He's running all along the rigging. He's got a monkey. He's a child of a resistance against the Empire. So it was all about kind of being quick and getting what you can before you get caught. I'm going to give him two heart because he did all this for his family. He is a sociable person. He's a merchant. He likes making connections with people, and he is good at that. I think he has a plus one. His worst stats are going to be iron, which is physical toughness and aggressiveness in close quarters. That doesn't really make sense for this character. And wits is also going to be plus one, because I think that he put off learning and doing what he was supposed to do. He's not unintelligent. He's definitely clever, but I don't think he has a lot of actual application of knowledge in the world. So I'm going to give him plus two for shadow, which is cunning and deceptiveness, but not so much in the wits department. So there we have it. 
We will set our condition meters on our character sheet. There are multiple condition meters. There is health, spirit, and supply. Those things will go up and down as we make moves, and we can use them for certain things. Envisioning the character, I think we've done a pretty good job, but hopefully I can kind of think more on this before we start the first session and have a nice little vignette to introduce not only our main character, but the world and his status quo, what is going on before the inciting event of this adventure. And we finish with naming our character and gearing up. Equipment is very much flavor in this game. It's not so much a strict inventory like you would do in other RPGs. A lot of the times, if you're looking for certain items or whether or not you have something on your person, you're going to use a move like check your gear and consult your supply meter. So I think that it's really just thinking about the major kind of defining items on this character. And for a name, I'm thinking Dyne, D-Y-N-E. Just like it. It's got a little bit of a Final Fantasy vibe. And I think that Dyne has lost his parents, lives with his grandmother, has some younger siblings. So I think that he keeps one thing from each of his parents. I think that he has a bandana that was his mother's that he uses as both a scarf and he uses it to tie his hair back from flowing on the ship and things like that in the winds. And I think that his father had iron blades, but unlike traditional pirate cutlasses and a lot of you know, long swords and things like that that you'd get in traditional Iron Sworn. I think that for the purposes of this kind of setting, they're more like two curved daggers that he keeps like in the small of his back. And they're made of iron because we decided that iron vows are sworn on blades. How these will fare in a duel if we ever have to board another ship or get into hand-to-hand combat, it's going to be interesting to see how the difference in size between two daggers versus a cutlass or a larger blade is going to work, or against firearms, because there are cannons and there are firearms in this setting. So, But I like that. It's kind of more reserved. He's definitely not a brawler type, so I think that fits. And I think that's fine for gear. Other than that, he's going to have the simple sailing things. He probably has some thin rope, and I imagine him wearing loose billowy pants that probably stop around just below the knee. He's probably wearing sandals and not boots, and I think that he just has like a long sleeve shirt. He pulls the sleeves up. Yeah. And I think that that's probably where we're going to end this first episode. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you stick around and listen to more Ironsworn Sundered Isles. If you could, please check me out on social media. I'm just getting started, but I'm very excited and I have a lot planned. I have a lot of ideas for ways to share my love of role-playing games with you. And as always, definitely go check out the DMs After Dark. I am a member of that crew. When I have the time to go on streams and play games with them, I do all their audio editing. And they are the people. They are my nerds. They are my friends. And... This whole thing started when all of us Forever DMs decided we need to play more games. So go check them out. Please like and subscribe. All that stuff that people say 
Honestly, though, if you can go on whatever podcatcher you use and give us a rating, that goes a long way to helping me find more listeners, and it would mean a ton to me. If you want to talk to me directly, definitely email me. I set up an email at rainyplaysgamespod at gmail.com. My name is spelled R-E-N-E, which you probably see if you are listening to this podcast, but if not, now you know. And um, until next time, resist. Thank you and have a good one.